Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan, and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana share their stories. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Roman Gorbatov, a Salesforce CTA and principal architect. Roman provides some insight into his career and how he initially discovered the Salesforce ecosystem. Having joined his current company 11 years ago, Roman explains the different roles that he has taken on over that time and how and why he decided that he wanted to focus on the architect role. Roman spent his first few years working on projects in Russia, so gives a glimpse into what it was like working there and what he noticed was different about the expectations in Russia compared to the US market when he relocated to New York. Finally, Roman talks us through why he wanted to become a CTA, how he prepared, and how important having structure and guidance from Flow Republic was. Roman also shares a story about why he ended up sitting the review board between 11pm and 5am, unbeknown to the panel at the time. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Roman. Good to see you. Welcome to the show. Hi, good to see you. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, yeah, really excited to unpack your career and your Salesforce journey and hear more about you as a person. Great. Thank you. I'm excited to talk as well. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's great. Well, I always start looking backwards a bit. Obviously, we will explore your Salesforce journey and the achievements you've had recently. But can you tell me a bit about what life was like perhaps before Salesforce and what you did as a career before Salesforce, if anything? Sure. Not too much to tell, frankly speaking, because almost uh, my whole career is Salesforce related, but basically when I was in the university back in 2010, I started my IT career in a very small uh, company doing voice telephony and I was doing like support role there for like half a year, nothing too complicated, just uh, helping customers through the chat or through the phone several hours a week so that I can combine it with my study. Then I quit and uh, moved to a larger telephony company to do the same kind of work, but for a little bit more money. Then I spent another half a year there, uh, again, trying to combine it with my study because I was studying full-time normally, so it was a little bit hard. And it was my fourth university year. Then I took a break, and that was my largest break and vacation since then. Basically, for two months, I was doing nothing. I was spending time with my friends, with my family. And then it was my first trip abroad. Uh, I was sitting on the balcony in Montenegro, and I was chatting with one of my former colleagues from my first company, and she asked, okay, I just joined some Salesforce partner. Do you know anything about Salesforce? I said, no. I went... And Googled it. She said, okay, we have a position like Salesforce consultant. Uh, if you want, you can try. Then when I came back to Moscow, I went to the interview and they took me. That's my whole non-Salesforce career. And that's how my Salesforce career started. And it was 2011. Okay. So what did you study? I studied computer science. So I, uh, I graduated Moscow State University and I studied computer science. Okay. So we did some coding there. We... I knew a bunch about like mathematics. My diploma was about finding 
something on the pictures so and picture analysis so i was fond of it my whole life but to some moderate degree <laughs> so i was never such you know, like a geek but rather just a guy excited in everything computer related when you were studying computer science did you see yourself being an engineer was that like the career you were passionate about following no i never thought of being an engineer to this extent like coding and stuff i was more into talking and like realizing concepts, understanding like business tasks. So I was never too excited in deep coding. And, you know, when we studied Assembler, for example, in the university, my uh, roommates helped me a lot with some of my tasks. My, my friends helped me a lot. So it was never a passion. I could always read and understand the code, but seeing and spending hours writing it was not something I imagined. So I was looking for opportunities where I can rather think and speak more like business analysis roles or something rather than pure development positions and engineer positions. So what did you think of Salesforce when you first, you know, you got the job, you started looking under the bonnet. What did you think of Salesforce? So almost from the very start, I started to hit some walls, some limits. So during my first week, I was doing some workflow rules. And then I realized that I couldn't do something with the workflow rules. And I had to write my first trigger and then a couple of other triggers. Then I came to my boss and he asked to put the map onto the account page or even, yes, the map, just not to put the address, but to put multiple visits onto the account page. So had to Google and write some JavaScript and embed this JavaScript, fix something there. Uh, so it was working and I realized that there is a lot here. So you can do pretty much everything and you just have to figure it out and it's all doable. Yeah, for sure. So interestingly, because you weren't passionate about coding, but obviously you'd studied computer science, you had a good knowledge of programming, but um, you were passionate about being a business person and working like in a business analysis kind of consulting role. You did do some development early in your career in customer times, but you've been there for 11 years. So what other roles have you held? Have you been a developer for a long period of that or was it only a short stint? So it was never uh, a long period, but sometimes I was doing development and even now sometimes I can do something to keep up with my <laughs> dev certificate, for example. So basically, what was I doing? Sound control, business analysis role, coming to the customer and talking, figuring out requirements from the very beginning. Then admin staff, configuring system development, uh, any kind of architecture, solution architecture, integration architecture role, some pure integration architecture role, that some positions, technical architect, overall architect for very huge projects. I was doing admin trainings and user trainings throughout the country, even when we were doing large rollouts and user trainings for large groups in different places. And then it all repeated once again, almost the same structure when I uh, moved to US and we started to expand to international business and we started to expand within US. So since I was one of the first who moved to US from customer times, I was doing small projects, admin staff, consultant staff, developer staff, my first days, and then shifting model architect roles there. When you first started with Customer Times, were you focusing mainly on Russian-based projects? Yes. So that's what we were doing. And back there in Russia, Salesforce was just gaining some popularity. So it was either within some mid-sized companies who were doing pretty good business and had enough money for it, 
or some global rollouts that needed local support. That was another type of business that we came into. So yeah, it was primarily Russian projects and we were called Platinum Partner, I believe, that they selling licenses and doing these kind of projects. When you say, obviously, um, Salesforce was gaining traction, and I appreciate Russia now, is, there's a lot that's happened, right, in terms of the the environment there. So things will be different now to what they were then. But what else was being used by companies? Like, What was Salesforce competing with? Was it the typical kind of Microsoft stack? Yeah, it was competing with Microsoft stack. There are other CRM solutions uh, that are kind of local. I don't remember the names, frankly. Sugar CRM, stuff like that. Yeah. And actually, for mid-size and large-size companies, we were competing more with uh, the homegrown systems because the culture of the projects is very different in Russia and in in US, the market I mainly know. In Russia, there are a lot of engineers and the company can hire a lot of engineers for cheap. So it's really for them the choice between like building something completely themselves maybe with little best practices, but still still cheaper and not paying for some licenses, God knows how much. So it's uh, this kind of combination. And we were integrating with Russian systems, like there is Russian ERP system called uh, 1C, that is very popular that we were integrating with. So it, it was quite a different market. And, you know, this difference, I did realize it from the very beginning because I started there. And I realized the difference in, in these approaches back in 2012 or 13. I was studying for my service cloud consultant or sales cloud consultant certification where there were questions like, these are project roles. What are they supposed to do? Blah, blah, blah. And I realized, aha, these should be different people because I'm the one doing all this stuff, like integration architect, like business analyst, like <laughs> all this stuff. So I realized that the projects are really much more complicated with like distribution of these roles and all this and we figure out everything ourselves all the time and we make it work so what about when you went over to the states what did you what did you find different about the way that salesforce was done when i came to us one thing that i noticed um among the rest that comes to mind is in russia there are two things that were driving the implementation business requirements and technical capabilities in the US, the third thing came into play, compliance. And I figured out that there are some laws that regulate IT systems. I never thought about it at all in Russia back there. So we figured out that we have to store some data in a certain manner, and it can't go there, or some, there are some security requirements, non-functional requirements. No one cared about it in Russia at all that days. So we were just doing a system according to the business requirements, and that was it. If we came like no one from business would care about something like that unless people came there. Even in Russia, things changed with certain laws that came up after 2014, I believe. But this was one of the surprises for me. Another surprise was the pace for the projects. At least when I started for some companies, the pace was much slower with much more time spent to figure out the requirements, to describe them perfectly, and then to plan in advance. But then I realized that this is really depends on the customer and the project culture, because even now I face very opposite situations. Are there some very slow customers with good project planning or crazy rush with everything required yesterday and uh, we have to work overnight, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that makes sense. 
So obviously you played a lot of roles, right? Like you said, you were doing everything and that included being an architect, but also doing admin and doing training. And so when did you decide that, you know, the architecture path was the one that you wanted to pursue and also that you were going to be going down the CTA path? Probably quite a while ago, back in Russia in 2013, I think. So there was this fork where to move at some point, either to management positions and I was playing project manager role at one of the projects and it seemed fine for me but i didn't really realize what project management was at that point of time and i liked this part of the project management where i talked to developers and talked them what to do but i didn't like the part of like negotiating money with the customer and negotiating like documents and writing all these crazy documents and statements and so on establishing a relationship with people i don't like and so on and i think even my bosses were not completely happy with me because they were looking for the project managers who can push the customer more. So that's when I realized that there is this fork and I can move either more into management positions and practice my soft skills and so on, or to get deeper into the architecture and keep being the person who is talking to developers and saying them what to do, but someone else dealing with this administrative stuff. So that's how I started to shift to to the architect position. And I think even that time I heard about this CTA certification. I did my first evaluation. That days there were no pyramid with all these exams. So there was an evaluation questionnaire with like 60 questions or something. And it was the first thing I kind of failed uh, because you just answer all these questions and then it tells you either you are good to start looking into CTA exam or not. And at that time, I thought that I know everything. I always thought that I know everything. And at that time, I realized that there is a lot. There is a lot to face, to learn, to see that uh, I have never experienced before from the integration standpoint, from the life cycle standpoint, from identity, access management, these kind of areas, enterprise architecture, from a lot of things. Because I was sure that it's just like data model, automations, and you can do everything with it. And then it started to turn out that things are much more complicated. So did, did you have uh, like a mentor or someone that you could kind of aspire to be in the maybe the company or even just the Russian Salesforce market? I had some mentors within the company in my early years. So till 2014, I had some colleagues that inspired me, that knew things better than me. Some of them were great developers. And from them, I learned a lot on the like inside of the Salesforce and Apex and these kind of things. Others were, uh, so one of the guys was more or less the same track as I, and he's a CTA now here in UK, but uh, he left the company in 2014 or 15, if I'm not mistaken. And since then, I remained probably one of the most experienced architects within customer times. So since then, I was learning mostly from the open sources, uh, from the internet, from videos. And maybe that's why it took me so long, actually. Because for a very long time, I didn't have anyone to learn from. I was the most experienced person on almost all of the projects I was a part of. So I was trying to learn as much as possible from the customers and customer architects uh, but that's where I was often disappointed when the project started. And I thought, okay, guys, you do the thing great, uh, like blah, blah, blah. And then uh, as time uh, 
past, I realized that they were doing crazy mistakes and I didn't understand the rationale why they took certain decisions and so on and so on. So when you started, um, like when you decided, right, I'm going to go for the CTA, how did you formulate a plan and like start putting structure towards your preparation? It was a year and something ago. And at that time, I was looking in more details on other people's experience uh, getting towards it here. And I was sure that, yes, you need a mentor here. You can't do it yourself. So I spoke with Mark, this, this CTA guy who worked with me back in Russia, and he kind of confirmed the same. So I just started to search, uh, not very extensively, but uh, I think I was happy to find Low Republic pretty quick because it seemed to be a perfect fit because uh, that's the place where you have even multiple mentors and the community. And that's exactly what I needed. And with this approach where you apply, you pay money, it's much more comfortable for me than looking for some mentor outside and establishing some relationship where I understand why I need it. But I really couldn't understand why would any mentor work with me for free and go into someone and try to like establish this kind of like financial relationship would be strange as well. So I was I was really happy that such program exists and that's <laughs> that was my perfect fit. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Flow Republic. Flow Republic is the elite Salesforce Academy helping architects all over the world to realize their goal of becoming a Salesforce certified technical architect. The success that architects are having with Flow Republic is incredible. So if you are on your journey to CTA then I highly recommend checking out flowrepublic.com to understand how they can help you. So what did you find most difficult about that whole journey of preparation? I think this switches from overconfidence to underconfidence back and forth was a little bit hard. Meaning that in the beginning, I, I learned a lot about the exam. I didn't practice, but I looked at some some scenarios. So when I started, I was pretty confident that I will make it. But then uh, when I started with Flow Republic and with first uh, scenarios, I thought, oh my God, it will be hard. Then I was feeling better and better. Then still when I was getting to some Q&As and I was looking at this like hundreds of different questions that may arise during the board and the technical I should know all this, I was again feeling upset, thinking, oh, hey, how would I pass? So this was hard somehow. But looking back now, everything was fine. I think I was never too depressed. I was never too overconfident. At some point, I tried to, when I was close to the to the board, I was thinking that, okay, it doesn't matter whether I pass or not, since I did so many mocks and since my coaches are uh, feeling good about my performance. Probably I'm already the type of like CTA person type and it's just the certification. So ultimately I'm already the person I was expecting myself to become with this journey. So that helped me a lot. Did you, because I know Seb and, and Johan and the team, they're quite big on like mindfulness and breathing and, and all of that to prepare yourself for the day and, and to be able to deliver your best performance in the review board. Is that something you'd ever kind of done before? And, and did you get behind that? That's an interesting question because actually it so happened that I was interested in this kind of things uh, and I got interested in this kind of things almost at the same time when I started my prep. So I practiced some, like I read some books, I practiced some mindfulness, like meditations, 
maybe several months before I started the journey. So none of this was a surprise for me. And I was already feeling pretty good. I understood how it works. I was happy to see these kind of practices in the prep, but none of them were novel to me. And I realized that there is such a tool. I can use it uh, when I need it. And then sometimes I, I give up, sometimes I switch back. So right before the board, like when I was sitting and getting ready 15 minutes to the board, I did 10 minutes of meditation and that helped me a lot. But during the prep, I didn't do it. So uh, I wasn't feeling <laughs> nervous during the prep. Yeah. So I understood that there was such a tool and I was happy that it was part of prep because for a lot of people who are not familiar with it, uh, I think it could be an eye opener, really. Yeah, like I think a lot of people that don't have a company like Flow Republic to take them on that journey probably wouldn't invest much to, unless they were passionate about it and they'd come across it in everyday life or something they'd investigated before. They probably wouldn't put that hand in hand with the review board, maybe wouldn't see it as a necessary tool or method to, to pass. Whereas actually having that guidance from people that have done it before that say, look, you need to focus on this as well, not just the criteria and the you know, the technicalities, but actually how you think and how you prepare your mind for the review board is probably a major thing. So tell me about the day of the review board for you. What did that look like? I'll probably start with the day before. So my review board was scheduled for 11 p.m. because they are in California and I was in Moscow. And I didn't want to announce loudly that I'm in Moscow. So I just decided, okay, be it as it is. And that's why my review board was scheduled for like late night. I realized that uh, we will finish at probably 5 a.m. in the morning. So the day before the exam, I decided to practice a little bit and to shift my schedule. So at like same time, 11 p.m., I sat and started to uh, review some questions and think about the answers and like try to prep my mind. And at 1 or 2 a.m., I was completely exhausted. I couldn't think at all. I was uh, so nervous. I thought, okay, how would I do it? Because I'm in such a bad shape <laughs> now, mind-wise. And this is so important uh, to, to think sharply. That's, that's probably the key thing, not the knowledge, but the way you're prepared and you're thinking. So I still thought that probably adrenaline will help me there. But um, I felt nervous. The day before, I felt really nervous. So I could stay till like 3 a.m. probably, still reviewing some questions and thinking about the answers. But really, like, you know, how you have the question. If you have an answer and you read the question, you immediately switch to the answer. So I did my best not to open the answer and to think at least a little bit before getting the answer. And then on the exam day, uh, I tried to sleep a lot. So I was sleeping till noon or further. Then during the day, I tried to take a couple of naps uh, as well. I took a walk and then by 9 or 10, I headed to the office where I booked a meeting room. So I had a lot of coffee prepared for me. I had a huge chocolate bar, uh, I had water. So I had everything prepared. And when it started, it was like flowing. So everything was fine. I never thought about like my state of mind. I was so deep into the scenario and into the questions. So it was very quick. The whole review board was super, super quick for me. The presentation, my timing, I think was perfect because I did everything exactly in 45 minutes. And then uh, for Q&A, it was the quickest hour in my life with all these questions. And after the exam, I went outside. 
5 a.m. Feeling fine. So I went outside. I thought, okay, that's done. That's finished. The journey is over. I don't know the result. I don't know what it would be. But the fact that judges said they are out of questions uh, five minutes before the end of questions time made me feel feel pretty good. Still, uh, I was nervous about other things. So I went back home and I spent another hour or so like lying and analyzing the whole board in my head, what went good, what went bad. I was thinking that probably my solution wasn't optimal, but it should have been suboptimal because I explained everything. It was working. So it was working. It maybe wasn't the nicest one, but it was working. So I thought, okay, everything should be fine. And another thought that I had is that, and I had the thought even before the review board, that I wouldn't have prepared much better. So during the prep, I realized at some point that I was going on some plateau, that I reached certain level and that getting further, it was possible. I could practice like 100 more hours, 200 more hours, and I would be better. But getting there would be so hard and slow that it would make much sense. So I realized that I am at that level probably. And it's a matter of my mental condition, my confidence rather than rapid knowledge at that point. Then there were three weeks of crazy waiting time where I switched back and forth from like thinking everything is fine the way that I was thinking uh, after the exam back to, okay, I didn't do well and uh, my memories started to mix. uh, So I realized maybe I was doing not that well and maybe it was all wrong and all this. Uh, <laughs> so this was a little bit intense, this waiting time. During that three weeks, had you decided that if you'd have fouled, would you resit? Would you go again? I thought that if it is section retake, probably yes. Uh, if it's uh, full fail, I don't know. I mean, frankly, I didn't think that it would be full fail because I really did well. Like I prepped well, I practiced uh, during the practice, I practiced well. So everything was smooth. If it would be fail, I would think, what do they need? Come on, because (laughs) I've heard so many like mock exams from different people. I did so many mocks and like, guys, what do you need if this is not what you expect? So I didn't think too much about failure. I thought a little bit about section retake, but yeah, probably I would I would go for, for section retake for certain sections, but I would be upset probably <laughs> if it was such a situation. And tell me, uh, the moment you found out you passed, what, what was that emotion like? Something like, yeah, and finally, this is the confirmation. So it was such like a bright emotion or something because I was into so many things after the exam with the relocation and... With the exam, actually, <laughs> it was a funny thing that when I knew the result, I was alone in Moscow because my wife was uh, back uh, with her parents. And I was like, I think I got the result in the middle of the night or something. And what I remember uh, very well from that day and the day after is I had a huge toothache. So my tooth was like blowing. So it was so intense. It was the hugest pain probably in my life. So I remember it more. Then the fact of the exam. So it spoiled a little bit the joy of, <laughs> of passing because uh, for me, the key thing of the day was really to get rid of this pain and go to the dentist rather than celebrate the exam. <laughs> for the exam, I felt surprisingly like, okay, finally, I got it. Yes, that's great. That's, that's what I achieved. But with these three weeks of waiting time, I didn't save enough 
emotions probably <laughs> to celebrate. So I decided, okay, this chapter is done. You were trained. Yes, I'm good. Finally, that's it. I proved it. I proved to myself before, and now I proved it to the rest. Good. But for me, the most important thing was to prove this kind of level to myself. And I, as I said, I was sure with my level probably months before the review board that I am reaching this level. So this certification, the fact that I passed is really the proof, the confirmation for the others. So it is something like the, the page, but it didn't tell anything to myself. It just it started to confirm what I thought to the rest. That's interesting. But do you feel like your belief in your capabilities have changed at different stages? Like if you think before you started studying for the CTA to then two months out, surely at that point your, your capabilities are more well-rounded because of the effort that you've put in. My capabilities changed, yeah, of course, because with this prep, I've shifted the way I'm thinking. I think more structured, I think quicker, I see the patterns quicker, and I can talk better. So my, a lot of my abilities that I need for my daily job improved significantly. But that's my point, that I started to realize it before the review board, that I am drawing diagrams better, I'm explaining things better, I get into the point better, and so on. So that was the most important for me, frankly, is that I understand that I got better in a lot of aspects of my work. And the actual certification, the page is for the rest to realize it quicker, <laughs> probably. Do you feel people treat you differently now? Not really, maybe a little bit. But the thing is that a lot of people, I have to explain what it is. So you can't imagine how many times uh, I explained to my friends, to my colleagues, to like a lot of people, what is the review board? What is the exam? Why is it so important? Why it means so much? Because a lot of people just don't know. So some people, uh, yeah, but I don't meet too many people familiar with the CTA certification these days. Uh, like some of the customers who are really deep into Salesforce know it. Yeah, that's wonderful. But it's just a minority. Others, uh, they just don't understand what it is. So I don't feel this much, at least with my job now. And did you uh, did you ever tell the panel on the review board at the end of the you know six hours, did you ever tell them, you know what, it's 5 a.m. here, I'm in Moscow? Yeah, I told them at the very end. When I said, have a good night, I said, it's just 5 a.m., guys. <laughs> Something like that. So they were surprised. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, I, uh, it's been so good hearing your journey and I love your honest approach to things and you tell it how it is and, and it's been really refreshing to hear, you know, the whole journey. So uh, thank you very much. It's been uh, been great. And if anyone wants to reach out and, and kick your brains, hear more from you, where's the best place to contact you? So LinkedIn probably will be the best place. I think you can give my LinkedIn profile link. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Uh, I was happy to talk to you this morning. <laughs> it's not 5 a.m., it's 7.50. <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah. Well, next time, maybe I'll get you up earlier. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe I will work. <laughs> I will talk better. <laughs> All right. Thank you. It's been uh, enjoyable. Thanks a lot. So that's a wrap for this week's episode and thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the chat and if you did, please make sure you have subscribed for future episodes that are coming through. I would also be very grateful if you would consider leaving a review on your chosen podcast platform as five-star reviews will help us to reach more trailblazers from across the world. I look forward to sharing another episode with you soon and thanks again.